It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast in association with Acorns Children's Hospice. Cole Pedham here. As always, and we're going to do a little bit of the week or the last five or so days that have been or were for Aston Villa Football Club, of course, losing on the weekend to Liverpool 1-0 away at Anfield. And of course, uh, this evening, you'll hear this on the Wednesday, um, beating North City 2-0 at Carroll Road um, in the nostalgia that was against former manager Dean Smith. That was very short-lived, if I may say so myself. Um, But anyways... Before we actually kind of dive into uh, our chat and this just kind of general pod that we're going to do, we're going to cover a variety of different things more so than just going over one single game. I do just want to mention that the Just Giving page, of course, is still going for Acorn. So if you want to donate, of course, it's www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash villa. We're about, I think, 50% exactly uh, right now at time of recording at hitting our goal. So, which is nice because we're in the middle of the month. So um, if anyone's a stickler to the schedule, like I am, it's very, very nice to see that, but nonetheless, give what you can. It could be five pounds, $5, whatever currency, give what you can afford to don't uh, give what, of course you can't afford to. I would hate to see people struggle to give money that they can't seem to give away, but nonetheless, Let's dive into this. I'll stop rambling. Of course, I'm here with Seb Bacon and Simon O'Regan as well. So I'll go to Seb first. Seb, how's it going for you? Yeah, it's always nice to come off the back of three points. And also adding to that, my Wi-Fi is working perfectly. So that's that's always good news. And I haven't been on in a while, so I'm looking forward to it, yeah. Yeah, it's good to have you back on. For some reason, I think it's literally because I've been working so many straight hours really without a break. I literally thought you were going to say my wife, and I'm thinking you were far too young to have a wife. But nonetheless, that is just my ears and my weird mind. So let's ignore that. But Simon, how's it going for you? It's not just your ears. I thought, (laughs) (laughs) you know, very calmly just uh, breaking the news that he's now got married. But um, uh, apart from uh, being delighted for Seb and his new brides, I'm uh, very happy that I've been uh, gotten some three points tonight. Um, Maybe a bit more slightly more uncomfortable than I'd have liked at times in that second half just because they're at 1-0 you always think there's a chance I can come back into it but um, no it was a a good performance tonight uh, on the back of a relatively decent showing at Anfield all things considered on Saturday so yeah it's um, it's good times being a Villa fan at the moment. Yeah, it's kind of a weird one. Um, but before we get to that, I just want to say, Seb, very quickly, this is completely off topic, but this is what this podcast is. What would your wedding song be right now if you were going to get married? I just, this came <laughs> and I want to know. Um, oh, come back to me at the end and I'll have an answer for you. How about that? Okay. You oh, also have In to the space of like the next out, absolutely not. The rapper, the rapper is with you and you, you, you've got the vocal cords on this podcast. No chance. 
Uh, well, I appreciate that. I've been uh, I've been practicing since the end of last season. Trust me. If if you thought the the rapping was great, wait till I pull off the uh, the Michael Bublé here in the in May or whatever. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens. But anyways, of course, it's been a very interesting week for Villa. Like I said, of course, losing to Liverpool last weekend, beating Norwich tonight. Um, weird to go to Anfield and come out losing, but still be relatively pleased and really hard done by by the result. And then of course. Going to Norwich, personally, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way, I fully expected us to win. I Just as much as I do respect Norwich and how self-sustainable they are with the way they manage that club, I, I have to think they're going down. Dean Smith has walked into a sinking ship. Um, if he keeps them up, that's an even bigger accomplishment, in my opinion, than keeping us up a couple seasons ago. Um, but yeah, it just it was one of those games where it just felt like if we scored one, that's basically it to be honest and then of course you come out um just shortly after the liverpool game you have the nakamb injury news and everything with COVID. certainly uh coming back around that uh, lovely um word that seems to never go away over the last few years and uh is driving many a people crazy around the globe but seb i'll spin it back to you if we're looking at the last few days as being a villa fan you have to be pretty pleased don't you yeah, I mean, if we're going back in time to the Liverpool game, because obviously we haven't done one since then, um, you know, it was a good performance. We, I feel as though we were the second best team, certainly until the 70th minute or so, until until Stevie made the changes. Um, but we defended really well, and I think that's something that we haven't quite managed to do in recent times is when we're not playing well, we'll seem to concede silly goals and it will get worse from there and go downhill. However, we weren't at our best, but we still managed to stay in the game, which I think is key against any top team, whoever you could play. Um, And then obviously tonight, it it got off well. I'm delighted for Ramsey, especially after that Casper Schmeichel incident. I think that's justice for him and also what a goal as well. And then it sort of died down a bit, didn't we? We were controlling play. We seemed happy to keep the ball and move it around. We were getting our little touches off and it was almost like a training drill at times. We were using it to work on our passes forward. I thought Buendia was good. He couldn't quite get into the game as much as he'd probably have liked. But at the same time, he was still moving the ball around well. The second half hit and we were thinking, here we go, you know, Villa's here, Norwich are going to score and we're going to make this really difficult for ourselves. But I think that's a Villa of old times now. We managed to make sure that Norwich weren't able to become comfortable on the ball and create dangerous chances. Uh, I think Konsa managed brilliantly tonight. Um, we, We passed it forward. We were looking to get that second goal and then... Carney Chuck will make her enters the pitch and instant impact almost, doesn't it? You know, that's a brilliant ball across the floor. He just seems to be so calm on the ball and so nurtured almost that, you know, to pass it across. I thought it was a shot at first. And then I noticed Ollie Watkins coming at the back post and, you know, the game's done then. But the one thing I noticed tonight that I haven't noticed since is we were we were being more street smart, which I really, really liked. We were taking our time. Once we were 1-0 up and we had the ball and we were winning free kicks, we were taking our time, giving the ball back. You know, we were frustrating Norwich. We were going down easily. Not easily as in diving, but as in like 
being able to win fouls. You know, you see it so often with Pep Guardiola and we saw it with Jurgen Klopp that they will go they will go down and bide their time. And if Norwich were in possession, we'd take them out on the halfway line instead of letting them carry it 20, 30 yards further forward and be able to create an attacking opportunity. So over the course of the two games, of course, you know, I'm never going to be happy with a loss. But if you put all things into perspective, then especially with our runner fixtures coming up, must I add, then, you know, you've got to look ahead in excitement. Yeah, massively. And of course, we're under a new era at Villa and we have been for over a month now, of course, Steven Gerrard. He's won every game that he's, I guess you could think in a Villa fan's mind, he should win. Um, We've lost the two that, you know what, most people would have thought. And you know what, we've done probably better and performed better in terms of the result and just the full 90 minutes on the pitch in both games. We've really pushed them to the limit, in my opinion. And of course, I think we should have got something out of Man City now looking at it. And I still looking back at the highlights and rewatching the Liverpool game, you have to kind of sit back and think, could we have done a few things better? But Simon, you have to think when you go against teams like that and you're beating the teams that you would figure you should be beating, it's it's one of those things you have to sit back and say, you know what, We're, we are going somewhere, especially under Steven Gerrard. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think it, in a way that the sort of that description is maybe slightly underselling the job that has been done already. I, I get what you mean in that you look at certainly Palace away um, and Leicester at home and like they'd be games that, that you'd say are definitely winnable, but I don't think they're necessarily games that you'd say we should definitely be going and winning. You know, Leicester have been up you know, for only for their own complete incompetence in the last two games of the last two seasons. You know, they could have been playing Champions League football. Crystal Palace, I think, uh, have had, had, I think they were on like a fairly decent unbeaten run. And to be fair, Brighton, I think, have been unbeaten in maybe eight games before we played them. So he kind of, considering the run of games that we've been on when he, when Gerard came in, to, to go and get those wins in those games. Certainly, I think, yeah, Norwich and Brighton at home, I, I would expect us to win there. But going the way to win at Palace, beating Leicester at home, and the sort of the manner of the way we played in those victories, I think, is is, is slightly more impressive than maybe even in the, the wider media he's he's been given credit for. And then you look at the, the City, I mean, the City game, we've sort of already talked about that before. The Liverpool game, yeah, okay. The, we were the second best team, which you'd expect. Liverpool are a much higher level than we are at the moment. But that's the game that, you know, Liverpool can go and put four or five past anyone, you know, if they want to. The fact that we managed to to really limit them. I mean, I've only sort of seen sort of five, six, seven minute highlights, but I don't even really remember them having that many proper clear cut chances. It was sort of, half chances and saves that saves I'd expect Martinez to save. Maybe the one, I think there was a Van Dijk header from a corner, which, you know, you could, someone might say it was straight at him, but it was so powerful. Like that, that was a top save. But other than that, it's, um, you know, we, we've ended up really losing the game. So sort of the more I look back at it, the more I think of a really, really dodgy penalty, a really soft penalty. So, um, and then we probably should have had one our own as well on Danny Ings at the end of that game. But, you know, you're never going to get them at Anfield, so you just write them off. But, um, so no, yeah, I think overall you, you kind of, you you can't really knock the job that he's done at all. He's, he's probably gone 
it's probably been slightly better than I think most Villa fans would have anticipated from the first six games. Yeah, and I kind of wonder, and Seb, let me know what you think about this. Uh, of course, Gerard's the main man, so he's going to get the plot its first more than anyone else on his coaching staff from just kind of a outsider's perspective from fans. Of course, we're not with him at the training ground every day. I would love to pick his brain, but unfortunately, we don't have that access at this podcast. Uh, maybe one day, who knows? But regardless of that, you kind of have to sit there and think, with the amount of coaches we have and the background support and that kind of mentality, it it goes beyond just Gerard, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. I think, you know, Gerard mentioned it himself. He wouldn't be, he wouldn't be half the manager without, without his right-hand man, Michael Beal and the rest of his coaches as well. Um, I look at Gerard and I see someone that's still got a lot of work to do and a lot of growing to do as a, as a coach, obviously, as a manager, as a person, but I see someone that looks entitled on the touchline. He doesn't look out of place. He looks as though he knows what he wants from his teams. And if he's not going to get that, then he's not going to settle for it, um, which is something that I really like. I must admit, Gerard wasn't my first choice coming in. And I was quietly pessimistic about him coming in not that I was obviously against it at all but you know there's always that risk with bringing in a big name is it for the sake of it being a big name could it completely mess our season around because we seemed in a comfortable place with Dino but I couldn't be happier I love everything about him he's he's completely won me over and I'm I'm a total Steven Gerrard fan now. Every interview he does, he seems to impress me more and more. The way he talks, the just the self-entitlement he seems to have within himself and his team. You know, I look at that and I think, yeah, I completely understand why the players would want to run through brick walls for him because he knows what he wants and he knows exactly how to get it as well. And not only is he a good talker, but he backs it up with the performance on the pitches. You know, we were looking, I remember sitting here off camera, Cole, and I'm going to bait you out here when Dean Smith was in charge towards that latter stage going, I can't see us winning a game for two or three months with the difficult run we've coming up. We were, we were pinpointing Norwich after Southampton as the next game that we'd, that we'd win. And obviously, you know, obviously there's going to be shock results, but he's come in and suddenly those shock results that we weren't expected to get anything out of a few months ago we're looking at now going we we should be winning that we should be putting up a battle there you know with our run of fixtures we've got coming up I think it's Burnley on the weekend you know we're suddenly heading into games as favourites again and that's why and we're moving up the table and you know there's often managers that will sit there and talk the talk and while their teams are struggling and you know, not have the answers, but Gerard seems to have the answers for everything. And, you know, we're see we're seeing the fruits of those labors as well. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter how well he does, to be honest, because I mean it's great to see him do well, but you just know every time we win it the the liver to Liverpool rumors will always be there. And of course he's the next one coming. It kind of feels like you're, you're kind of paying the piper in that sense. If, if that makes sense to anybody else, we can do very well. He can take us to as far as we want to even imagine at the end of the day, that stupid link's always going to be there. And that's the one annoying thing, of course, but of course. But then uh, there's, there's two ways you can look at that Cole. You can almost look at that as in, 
I think the way you're getting at, which is, you know, it's a chip on your shoulder. That rumor is always going to be there and it's never really going to die down. Or you can look at that as a, you know, Liverpool is Gerrard's club. We can sit back and accept that. Dean Smith, Dean Smith is Villa's club. Um, uh, Villa is Dean Smith's club. Sorry. And, you know, Jack Grealish, as much as we hate to say it, still loves Aston Villa if he says, if, if what he says is true. So, you know, if he's going to go to Liverpool, then he's got to have done a good job. You know, we've got to be up there. And I'd say we've got to be competing and being being competitive in Europe before he, you know, you don't get, obviously Chelsea's an exception. You don't get a job like Liverpool unless you've earned it. And I'm not being disrespectful, but, you know, winning the title with Rangers in the Scottish League isn't enough to land you the Liverpool job. So we can... You know, I can almost accept that he's going to move on eventually. No manager is at a club for, you know, 10 years at a time. But when he does move on, we'll be in a better position to progress as a club as well. So, you know, it's almost like we're helping him and he's helping us. And I I, I, can't, I don't see that as a full-on negative. No, and that's what I was going to say, basically, is managers now, it's short-termism really anyway. So at the end of the day... Um, you have spells with whatever manager you have that are positive and negative. So, you know what, enjoy the wins, enjoy everything. And we'll have to see how far this ride can really take us. But Simon, to get us back onto, I guess the last couple of games in the last few days that have been for Villa. If you're looking at both lineups from Saturday against Liverpool to Tuesday night, of course, against Norwich, is there a few players or one player in particular that you'd pick out and say he's been the star man over the last few days? Um, it's, it's hard to lump them both in together just because the Liverpool game, you know, we, Liverpool was, was so dominant, really, that it was, it was difficult for the, the forward players to shine. Um, I mean, Ezri Konza is just a Rolls Royce of a defender. I, I, you know, we've all sung his praises countless times on, on, on this podcast. The, the, um, funnily enough, actually, the, on the weekends, the, one of the other podcasts that I do, we would talk about the Villa game, but I said, for me, by some distance, Ezri Konza is England's best centre-half, and, and I absolutely stand by that. I, I don't think I don't think Maguire is, is anywhere near the level that Konza's at. And to be fair, John Stones hasn't played all season, and I don't think defensively he's as good as Konza. He, he's just... He's so good. So, uh, you know, I, it, there was that three-on-one towards the end of the Liverpool game where you had Mane, Jota and Salah all bearing down on Konza. And, you know, I'm sure we've all seen the clip. And it's just such clever defending, not to go and commit yourself to one player and then to get the block on Salah and come away with the ball. And tonight, OK, yeah, he, he wasn't really tested at all, let's be honest. But there was that one moment, I think, in the second half when it looked like maybe Pookie might be getting in behind and he just he's so classy the way he gets out of it you know he dealt with everything tonight I liked uh, at the start of the second half as well there just a little bit of shit outsory from him to, to stop Norwich trying to take a quick free kick you know he's 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 just developed in, into as I say for me England's best centre-half by some distance so if you're looking maybe for someone over the two games as a standout I've been really impressive in, but tonight I thought there was there was a number of very very impressive performances tonight, albeit with the caveat that we were playing a championship team. If, if we're being you know in all but name, 
Yeah, and I feel bad for Norwich, of course. Um, it's just, uh, it, it's almost like it's, they're basically as lethal as a teddy bear. I, I That's the best reference I could come up. They're just, uh, basically, they have all the passing. that. They, well, you know what, they don't even have the passing tonight, to be honest. I think they strung a couple passes and then they went out of bounds about 20 times from what I can count from the top of my head. But Seb, I'll throw it back over to you. Like I asked Simon, of course, is there one or two players that have stuck out to you over the last week for Villa? Ramsey, Jacob Ramsey. What a footballer. What a brilliant, brilliant footballer. How old is he? 20? 21? I mean, wow. If he if he is able to reach the ceiling that he's showing at the moment, then you know, we could have another hundred million pound player on our hands here. And you know, I I don't say that I don't say that lightly. To be fair, like, I think yeah, that's obviously a very, you know, it's a bold claim and it is, you know, time will tell on that. But you you look at the level of development from this, from his performances this time last year when he first broke into the team, to how he's performing now. I mean, he is shot up at, at such, a, at such yeah. a fast rate. And yeah, you, you know, he's, as you say, still only 20. Wow. I'd say, I'd say he's one of the first names on the team sheet, sheet now. And that's testament to his performances under Gerard. You know, Gerard. Gerard's come in. He's highlighted him as a man that he wants to play his style under. And Ramsey's adapted brilliantly. He could have had what three three goals under Gerard. I can't. I can't remember um, much. But you you look at Ramsey and you think he's got that about him. He seems to be so mature for such a young age. To be, he links well with McGinn. I think both their play styles suit each other well. He's able to get forward. You know, his goal tonight is just sensational. But to be able to run with the ball and then finish in with that composure as well. You know, wow. Um, obviously, McGinn standing out. I think Jet was it Gerard that said in his press conference how much he loves him. You know, you could see you could see from the start that Gerard and McGinn was a match made in heaven. So I think that's almost that was almost expected. Um the wing backs a lot was made of the wing backs when Gerard came in. And again they've delivered Matt Target. You know, he had about six shots at goal today. And I don't know whether that's Matt Target turning into R9 or whether that's Norwich just being absolutely abysmal but the fact that they're able to get forward with more freedom now just shows that they're adapting well and suddenly a left back isn't priority anymore although I think we could still do with an upgrade there you know we were looking at left back in the summer going we need one like eventually but I mean, yeah, there's so many players. I think every single player has improved under Gerard. actually. I'm going to change my answer. Every single one of those players has come on in some in some aspect under him. Yeah, and of course, we've seen uh, Kearney Chukwameka, of course, now coming on. And whether that is Gerard believing that there's a true talent there or they're trying mm-hmm. to use that as a way to get him to sign a contract with more game time, I mean, it could be both, to be honest. Um, but we're seeing him deliver the goods as well. Of course, getting the assist on Watkins's uh, goal against Norwich to make it two nil and seal that deal. And to be honest, thank God. I thought with how bad Norwich were, you just it just screamed of Newcastle last season, where we somehow scored a bizarre goal, didn't deserve to be one nil up, and I think it was it Kieran Clark, of course, um, ex Villa man, scoring that goal in like the last second to 
make it a draw. And I thought, oh, why does this feel like that? But nonetheless, we see it off and it comes from the kids. Once again, um, Academy players at one point growing through the system and rising to the occasion. And I think that's, there's been so much kind of made of the Academy and all the investment. And I do see some fans even now impatient a little bit that they haven't come through quicker just with how many have been uh, brought in, but you know what we're seeing it now in this case with, well, not only them, you look at um, Archer and Philogene Bidais and the list goes on as well. And then there's a few more coming in. You have some on loan, Louis Berry, of course, um, just to name a few. I mean, we have a full system now with players that can immediately go into the first team, whether it be on the bench or starting. And then you also have ones that, you know what, if they're not going to make it, we can sell them for a profit. We're becoming fully sustainable. And I think that's one thing as much as Chelsea get made fun of for, I shouldn't say made fun of, but it's almost a meme with how many players they allow to go on loan. It's like 40 a season. There's sustainability in that. And I feel like that's the way that Villa is trying to model in some kind of instance as well. So it's great to see in that regard. But of course, we we can't really not talk about it because we always said we need another defensive midfielder. Marvel Sakamba has had the best um, period of his career at Villa, in my opinion. And I think everyone here, of course, would agree. And now, of course, comes off through injury against Liverpool, might have to have season-ending knee surgery. Um, I think that should be coming out of probably the Wednesday or Thursday, of course, after the podcast. So, Simon, I'll throw it to you. I mean, we all kind of thought we'd need a defensive midfielder in January anyways as cover. I would like to see Dougie Louise move up a little bit further up the pitch. I think we get more out of him that way. But what are your thoughts on all this? Because it's just... It's one thing after another right now with injuries, isn't it? It's just I, a real, real shame for the Camber because I think I think you know prior to Jar coming in, I think we all kind of quite liked him and thought you know there's, he's got certain qualities, but you never really thought. Well, I certainly didn't think that he would ever be someone that you you'd want to be starting as as your holding midfielder, you know, week in week out. And then the last sort of four games, obviously, under Gerrard, he, he was, he's almost like a different player. <laughs> it was on days like prime Kante. You're thinking, where's, where's this been? You know, he'd been absolutely superb. And so it, it kind of, it made you think that it wasn't necessarily a priority signing that you had to go and maybe do in January. But if he is out for the rest of the season, like, you know, the, the news that we've sort of all been reading suggests that he will be. Well, I think is is priority number one for January. We, we've got to we've got to do something. Whether there's a loan option out there you can get that can just cover for six months, or if you want to look more long term and, and bring a permanent player in, because you're right, Douglas Louise, he can do that role. He, he showed on you know a number of occasions at the you know when Project Restart and the start of last season that he's more than capable of playing that role. But I think it suits him against certain oppositions. So in a game like tonight, when, when you're going to dominate, you can have him in that holding role against Norwich. Against a City or Liverpool or you know, even like Leicester, when, when, you, when you're coming up against a team that, that have got very good Premier League players in that midfield, I don't know if I'd want him as that last line of defence. And then I also think it's the last few games, especially when he's come in and played as sort of more of a, a number eight uh, with Nakamba holding, I think he's been really good against Man City. I, I thought he was excellent. 
I thought he had a, a pretty decent game against Leicester as well. So I, I think I think his qualities are probably better suited playing in that number eight role. So yeah, I, I agree. I think if I, I mean, I don't ask me to name a player because I, I literally couldn't tell you who or who you would go out and try and get in January. But if there is someone there and, and it's going to improve the team immediately and improve the squad long term, even with the camp coming back, I'd like us to do that because it's it's a position that that will need filling in, in the second half of the season. And as I say, it, it allows it allows Louise uh, you, you get the best out of Louise, and also you see the, you get the best out of McGinn and Ramsey in there as well because they they've got the confidence that they've got a proper designated holding midfielder sitting behind them, which is allowing them to flourish going much further forwards. Yeah, of course. And Seb, I'll throw this one right back at you. And I mean, it's easier said than done. Maybe there's only one target Villa have in mind for January. If it's a defensive midfielder, everyone's automatically going to think it's Glenn Kamara, of course, um, from Rangers because of the Gerard links. And that does make sense and all that kind of stuff. But let's say that Nakamba's out for the rest of the season. He doesn't come back till the start of next season. You're then left with the primary kind of idea of getting another defensive midfielder to what you would assume be the number one move uh, Louise more to the left like we've been seeing with when the is healthy and Louise is the backup as it's needed are you okay with only one DM coming in or is it now if Nakamba's out you know what we may even have to try to even loan another one in you know what I mean it's one of those things where it's all great to have that cover but we've kind of I wouldn't say the the fan base has been complaining about it because Nakamba's been playing so well and that's probably hidden it but one injury can throw a lot of the really of the pan and say if another injury comes along then we're stuck with one again so where do you sit with that um oh that's a difficult question it's um, tricky like honestly because you don't you don't want to flood the midfield in that position but you know what i mean it's yeah it, yeah you have to be cautious yeah definitely but then you can't sign a player just in case someone gets injured no you know? it would have to be in rotation to make sense but i think like that's the thing. I think. But then Nakamba comes back. He yeah. the only way he'd sign two defensive midfielders is if he was potentially cautious about Nakamba not being able to recapture his form due to it being that bad of an injury, or whether he has plans to offload Nakamba, which he may do, because you know he's only been here what six games, so he could have been utilizing Nakamba well and thinking well, because of his injury now, we could offload him. And it depends where he wants to share his money around because a lot's been made of the figure that he's going to get in January. I think about 50, 60 million was the, was the banded figure. So it depends whether he wants to go and spend that on two defensive midfielders that he can rotate or whether he decides that there's another position that he'd also like to strengthen because maybe another defensive midfielder could come in in summer, for example, and then, and then you can look at the options from there. But, you know, Gerard will have a long list as, as well as Johan Lang and anyone else involved in transfers, a, a list as long as your arms, say, for all transfer targets that he'll be looking at. Yeah, like it, it's a tricky one. And even kind of the way I maybe put that out is the best way, of course. It, it is being overcautious. And I feel like 
it, well, it's not a game of FIFA. <laughs> it's not where you can have like four defensive midfielders and just buy them all and think, okay, they'll sit there. And then maybe if I need one for one game this season, they'll be happy with that. Of course, these are people and they do have lives and all that kind of stuff. But it'll be interesting to see in particular kind of what happens in January because I still do think we will maybe lose one or if not two. I just feel like if you look at the likes of El Ghazi and a few others, I, I do wonder if there are roles to really play there, but we can go into that on another day or if we do another uh, Twitter spaces about that, of course, little cheeky plug, of course, at 7,500 hold on Twitter, feel free to join those and interact, hopefully do more on a Thursday or Friday um, afternoon or evening, depending where you are. So there's a, a very long um, little uh, plug for that, but regardless guys, um it's a, it's a tough subject and it's touchy for some people around the globe, of course, but COVID is a thing. It has been, um, we all know since March, 2020, and it feels like it's never going away at this point, of course, with new variants and everything kind of coming around, we've already, um, heard with two Villa players being confirmed. I won't say the names, but we can kind of figure out who those basically are at this point with who missed out. You would imagine, Simon, is it a, is it a bit of concern for you? I, I, of course, like none of us can even put an estimate of what the severity could be if more of the squad it could be hit. I mean, you you look at United or how Spurs have dealt with it. Games have already been called off. Like, how do you think Villa prepare for this one? I mean, it's almost like you can't, but at the same time, you, you just wonder if it's going to go back to behind closed doors or something like that, don't you? Yeah, it's it's a tough one, really. I mean, I'm I'm not sure what more they can do than than what they already are. I mean, I I, I think they, you know, you, you you sort of you sit by the rules as they are in the country at the moment. You follow the guidelines and sort of hope for the best. And I don't really, I think you know the the only other thing you could say and and this this is just my my personal opinion. So this is nothing to do with. You know, seventy five hundred or anything like that. I don't want to get all in trouble. But from my point of view, the players just go. If the players go and get their jabs and their boost jabs or whatever, that that would you know, if, for me, I think that's something that could be done to uh, to try and at least stop the spread of it. And but you know, that's people will do what what they want to do, and it's you know, like, who who am I to judge people's own personal beliefs and opinions? But that that's I'd like to think that's something that the club would be doing. I, I believe Wolves are. The only club at the moment that are on target to to reach all their over 18s having their boosters, so you have to uh, you know just yeah, it's it's a difficult one to really answer in terms of the, what's going to happen because you no know, one I mean, really you know just how quickly this this thing this new variant will spread around the league. Obviously, no one wants games going back behind closed doors or a stoppage to football, but. The problem you're going to get is if games, you know, obviously we've had a few games called off already, not Villa haven't, but, you know, Man U and Tottenham have. And if more games sort of get called off, it's when they're going to fit them in because the season's already, I think, finishing a bit sooner than it would normally have done. And then next season is starting earlier than it's supposed to because of this stupid fucking Winter World Cup next, <laughs> next winter. So, you know, if, if games are called off, the, the biggest thing is when when are they going to be played? Because, you know, the, I know you, you, people always say, oh, you know, the, these prof they're professional athletes, they should be able to play two games a week, three games a week. But footballers nowadays, 
they're they're finely tuned athletes. Like they, they, it's not like in the in the past where you, you know they they just sort of train in such a way that they can probably play every couple of games. The way the sports science and everything is now, the players are trained exactly for ninety minutes. You know, once, twice a week, maybe maximum. So if you're having to put, you know, three games in the week, four games in the week, you've you've had that stages in the past with rearranged games. It's it's uh it's it's just not gonna work and players are gonna break down with boy injury. So just fingers crossed things certainly over here can stay at a sustainable enough level that you're not gonna have these cancellations and these problems, but we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and I mean like to be honest, we're seeking over here too. And like, I don't live in a very big town, but like, I think my part of the county has seen it's the most numbers it ever has during the whole pandemic. And you just have to sit there and wonder. And again, I don't want to say this is the opinion of anyone else, but just get your damn job. <laughs> like, I, I get why people are skeptical, but like, realistically, it's not a conspiracy. It's, it's not a flu the whole point of a jab isn't to keep you a hundred percent safe. And I don't want to lecture people because maybe that'll make people turn off, but literally it's about reducing the effects that it can have and the severity of them. That's what it is. The flu was at one point, something that wiped out a lot of people. It doesn't anymore because it's just the flu because there's vaccines and things like that. And yeah, whatever. Anyways, that's a, a science lesson. We don't need to go down, but regardless, it just, it does annoy me, but Seb, I want to ask you this one because uh, we heard Gerard say it. I think it was even yesterday or a couple of days ago uh, with mention to the transfer window. And will he and his recruitment team look at the whole vaccination um, policy, keeping that in mind with players, if they're jab, double jab, whatever. Where do you stand with that one? Because in my opinion, it does make sense. Because for one, I feel like without trying to judge people, I feel like it can kind of give you a little bit of mentality of where they're kind of at too. And another thing you're helping kind of safeguard other people as well, aren't you? Yeah, of course. Not only that, he'll, he'll need to think ahead in terms of if something were to happen. I know I said literally about five minutes ago that you can't sign a player in case he goes off injured, but I'm going to completely contradict myself in the worst way possible and say that he's got to think of, the outcomes if obviously that player were to come down with COVID or any of the new variants. So, you know, I doubt it will be Gerard that will be doing that. They'll have club doctors and people like that analysing like what they want from a new player. And he, he seemed to sit on the fence in his answer. I think, I think it is something that had been discussed, but I don't know whether it would be decisive for a transfer if they're not double jabbed or haven't had their boosters or whatever. So I don't see it having too much of a determining outcome. But again, like I said, like the amount of detail that goes into transfers these days, you know, everything is looked at. Man City were saying ages ago that, you know, they're going to look at more into French players when they buy French players in the future. Um, that was that was quite a while ago, so we won't go into that. But, you know, there's so many things that go into transfers nowadays behind the scenes that there's all these little data. That That's what the jobs are for now. People analyse all the data, the background stuff. So, of course, it will be mentioned. Yeah, like it's an interesting one. And it does make sense because 
realistically, you want to, I guess I'll use the word again, safeguard the club in terms of, well, if policies come out where you have to be double vaccinated or whatever, um, then at that point, it does make sense because what's the point in spending 10, 15, 20, whatever million on a player and then they just don't want to get vaccinated and they can't play for the rest of the season. You know what I mean? You have to kind of protect your investment too. So it does make sense. Um, the one thing I, I saw and it has nothing to do with Villa, but I thought it was a bit of kind of shithouse read to be honest and very odd was um, I think it's if um, any ground in the UK has over 10,000 capacity um, in terms of, of course, people attending um, they have to do the proof of vaccination well I think Carlisle United have dropped their capacity to 9,999 right now just so they don't have to do that um, not really going to comment and if I agree or disagree with that but nonetheless um, I, I guess that's one way to bite the bull it'll be interesting to see if other teams I guess for one can afford that and to follow suit with it but uh, I don't know I thought that was pretty funny but uh, uh- I was going to say, Todd Cantwell, I remember in the summer, we were doing a, a, a show talking about potential transfers, and that morning there'd been reports that we were going to offer £40 million for Todd Cantwell, and I, oh. I was pretty strong in my opinion that I would be absolutely dead against that, not happy at all. And a, there was one member of our parish who isn't on the show tonight, who, who shouldn't be, who was meant to originally be on the show, who seemed to suggest that it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. I'd love to know what his thoughts are now. Uh, and that is Danny Raza. I'll just throw him out there. It's okay. We all know who it is. It's the man that has the most fans on this podcast and of this parish. But uh, no, he, he won't be on for another month now that Simon's dug him out there. And I even added to that even further. So, Danny, if you're listening... You're welcome. But anyways, we'll we'll leave it at that, guys. Thank you very much to Seb and Simon for joining me. Of course, keep getting your donations in, of course, www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash villa. Like I said, we're halfway to our target and we'll have that open for the rest of the month of December. So give what you can. And yeah, we'll leave it at that. We'll be back after the Burnley game on the weekend. And don't forget, up the villa. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.